It's been almost two months since we launched She Launch, and you know when you love something so much that you want to do it every single day? That is me on the coaching calls inside She Launch. I literally want to do them every single day. I love it. And for those of you that have not heard of She Launch, it is for female coaches, consultants, and service providers who are wanting to earn six figures online with their dream business. Inside, we teach sales, marketing, leads, mindset, AI, offer mastery, and so much more. We also have just launched the She Launch CRM. Yep, we have our very own amazing CRM now, which I'm so excited about. Now, I believe this is the best online business and mindset training for female entrepreneurs, but don't take my word for it. Here is what Eilish has to say about it. The community is absolutely incredible as well. That's another thing that I really love about SheLaunch. Again, I've been in masterminds where the community's been either dead in the water or it's just had a weird vibe. (laughs) And with SheLaunch, the community is nurturing. They're really kind to each other. They're so supportive. And you feel like you are part of something really special. So if you are thinking about joining, jump on a call and then see what you think, because I know that you won't be disappointed. And this is what Rita thinks. I have absolutely loved every second of the She Launch program. I cannot explain how deeply transformative it has been for me personally. I am eternally grateful. It is worth every cent and I would highly recommend it to anybody. And here's what Belinda thinks. Signing up for She Launch is one of the best decisions I ever made. The content is extensive and groundbreaking amazing. Uh, Melissa and all the team are so supportive, helpful, always there for you and really loving kindness. Plus the connections I've made with the ladies that are in the group have been exceptional. We're all a team. We all support each other. If you're going to do something, sign up for She Launch. It's amazing. Babe, I would love and be honoured to work with you. All you have to do is head to shelaunch.com for all the details. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Head to shelaunch.com and I cannot wait to meet you. This is episode number 209 with Ira Israel. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app, which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has, like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, 
and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? Ira Israel is the author of How to Survive Your Childhood Now That You're an Adult, A Path to Authenticity and Awakening, and the creator of the best-selling A Beginner's Guide to Happiness, A Beginner's Guide to Mindfulness Meditation, Mindfulness for Anxiety, and Mindfulness for Depression video series. He is a licensed professional clinical counselor, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and a mindful relationship coach. He graduated from the University of Pennsylvania and has a graduate's degree in psychology, philosophy, and religious studies. And in today's episode, we chat about the serious accident that led him to embark on a path of spirituality, philosophy, and psychology, why we need to look at the stories from our childhood that are holding us back, how attachment and not being present hinders us from creating authentic relationships, the first step we need to take to foster authentic relationships, why we never completely heal our wounds and how to accept them, how to re-enroll the people around you into the new stories you want to live out in your life, plus so much more. And for everything that Ira and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 209. But before we dive into today's epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it comes from Alana Jade, and it's a five-star review, and it is titled, I'm honestly so grateful for you, Melissa. And she says, I rave about you to everyone and all over my Instagram because the gratitude and love I have for you is crazy. I look forward to every car trip because that's when I listen to your podcast. I've learned so much and I feel like you're the girlfriend I've always wanted and now I can have it. I love that you have such highly intelligent and influential guests on your show and it's very professional. I now love Ayurveda and Stephen Gabral, me too, and I love to hear about your life with Nick and Leo and I'm pretty sure I can say your podcast intro off by heart. (laughs) You share information I can easily share with my friends that they are super grateful for, such as your podcast on everything to do with the pill. Keep doing what you're doing and please don't ever stop because my friend, you are awe-inspiring and I look forward to more podcasts each week. Lots of love, Alana. Alana, seriously, that is the sweetest, most beautiful review I've ever read. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. You're such a sweetie. I adore you. So thank you so much. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and you leave me that five-star review right now. And your review could be the one that I read out next week. So now, without further ado, let's bring on, let's start this epic conversation with Ira Israel. Ira, it is so great to have you on the show, but before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? 
Yes, and it's so interesting because I was thinking about this while I was making my smoothie. I have a emotionally codependent cat that wakes me up promptly at 5.30 every morning, and then I have to feed her first, and then I make a smoothie. And it has some protein mix, and today it had grapes and some raspberries and some strawberries and walnuts and goji berries and some MCT oil. And that's my breakfast, and that starts me off right as rain for the day. Mm, sounds good. Sounds delicious. Now, can you tell us about your story and how you got to where you are today doing the work that you now do? Well, on January 6, 1985, there was a very bad car accident. I was in the passenger seat and I had my face blown off my head and my femur shattered into 200 pieces. And normally you die, you bleed out because your femoral artery is pierced. And after being removed from the passenger seat of the automobile and spending weeks in the hospital and traction, I started to ask all these existential questions that uh, teenagers usually ask. And I, <laughs> I'm a slow learner, I guess, because it took me 25 years to get the, the answers that satisfied me. But for eight years after the car accident, I studied philosophy and I ended up living in France, really falling in love with film and learning about just the human experience and how other artists portrayed it through film and literature and painting. So uh, that was eight years. And then in January of 94, I was in Thailand and I'm quite a large person and I walked into a door frame. I should say I'm quite a large person, but obviously clumsy. So I walked into the top of a door frame and I gave myself a very nasty concussion. And on the island, there was an Australian woman named, it was Koh Samui, Thailand. Uh, I think her name was Shelly King. If anyone's listening, I hope that she can get in touch with me. <laughs> yeah. And she, she said, let me heal you. And it was Koh Samui, 1994. There's no hospitals on the island. They just got their first fax machines. They had dirt roads. And I said, no, thank you. I don't believe in witchcraft. And my friend prodded me and said, come on, you got nothing to lose. You got a concussion. Let her heal you. And she put me down on this bench and she put her hands over me. Essentially, she was doing Reiki and she found the, the gash in my head. And after about 10 minutes, I started to see sweat bead on her lip and I could feel this similar to static electricity. And then finally, she said, okay, it's shut off. And I said, what's shut off? And she said, the energy. And essentially, she cauterized the, the, the wound. And I, I was fine after that. But I was, you know, I can't believe that somebody, you know, I've been studying all this philosophy for years, and someone just healed me with their hands like magic or something. So for the next eight years, that set me on a path of studying Buddhism, Hinduism, Kabbalah, and yoga, meditation, and things like that. And then I got into a really interesting or dysfunctional relationship eight years later. And that got me asking questions about, you know, like why we engage the way we do with other people. So if you looked at my life from the outside for 25 years, the, the, the first part, you know, I was in Paris, I'm studying philosophy, then I'm traveling around and I'm studying Buddhism and Hinduism. And then I finally settle down and then get my third master's degree this one in psychology. And you would say, oh, Ira, well, you know, he's a poor lost soul. He's just like going around studying all this totally useless things. And then one day I was teaching at Rodney Yee's yoga studio in Oakland and a woman came, down, came in and she put her hands down. And it, it sounds insane for me to say, but I'll say it anyways. Uh, I heard a voice and the voice said, it's time for you to give back. And after those 25 indulgent years of studying philosophy, spirituality, and psychology, 
it all came together. And I walked over to her. I don't even know why I said this, but I said, how would you like to make a yoga DVD? I, I didn't know this woman. And she just laughed. And that afternoon, I put an ad on the internet and we shot the next week. I made yoga for depression and anxiety. It became a bestseller. And then after that, I made mindfulness for depression, mindfulness for anxiety. I started teaching at the Esalen Institute. And for the past 10 years, now, I know I've been living my purpose in just you know giving back all the things that I took in during those first 25 years. Wow. Holy moly. That is some journey. That's for sure. Well, I've left out the most colorful parts that include Burning Man and, and all the <laughs> self-help workshops and all the gurus I sat with and all the, the interesting modalities that I, that I had to experience for me to find out what worked for me. Mm. Well, your book, How to Survive Your Childhood Now That You're an Adult, this book title 100% caught my eye. When I first saw that title, I thought, what? the hell is this all about? And I was immediately intrigued. And this book is all about, it's a step-by-step -step path to recognizing the way of being, the habits, the stories, the patterns that we create as a child and how to transcend them with compassion and acceptance so that we can step into the fullest expression of ourselves and so that we can cultivate the authentic love and authenticity that we were born with. Right. So, Tell us why this work is so important and why we need to do this inner work. So 10 years ago, I noticed these epidemics in our country of depression and anxiety. There's 22 million Americans who woke up this morning and took antidepressants. And, you know, the, probably the same number of people take anti-anxiety. So I started to ask these questions like, why does this exist? And I go through the book and I sort out like what I think the, the answers are. And then I wanted some solutions. So for me, the only panacea or your best hope at keeping yourself at the high end of the happiness spectrum is authenticity. Now, unfortunately, I live in a culture where we're taught to create a false self in order to survive our childhoods and get our emotional and psychological needs met the best we can at seven. And whatever persona that you developed when you were seven or 10 years old, you should be happy about. There's, you shouldn't regret it. If you were the sarcastic person, if you were the jock, if you were the geek, if whoever you were when you were seven or 10, that helped you get your emotional needs met then. Unfortunately, that persona is probably now hindering you from getting the authentic love you want now that you're 35 or 45. So what I tried to do is develop a methodology so that you could cultivate this authenticity. And as you know, it's attachment, atonement, attunement, presence, and congruence. So attachment is just being aware of your primary attachment dynamics. And I love this quote from Harville Hendricks. He says, the subconscious purpose of marriage in America is to enable us to complete our childhoods. Our parents had deficits. Those deficits wounded us. Those wounds became defense mechanisms. And those defense mechanisms became our personalities. And we'll always be attracted to people who can replicate the dynamics of one or more of our primary caregivers. And Marianne Williamson goes one better. And she says, if your partner can't replicate those dynamics, you'll train them to. So there's a wounded child in all of us who's trying to get the unconditional love from whatever 
parental figure that a wounded child thinks they failed to get. And we go through the rest of our lives seeking these things. And basically, we just get triggered and we end up going down into rather dark holes because it's a fruitless journey, particularly if your parents are no longer with us, right? So for me, knowing your attachment dynamic, knowing whether you think the world is an inherently safe place and secure and you can securely attach to people and they're not going to stab you in the back. And by the way, that was from the initial test from the 1969, that was only 33% of the people who knew that they could securely attach to, to other people. So we have this other epidemic in, in America in particular of people who really don't know how to securely attach. And the one thing that corresponds with happiness is our quality of intimate relationships. Can we securely attach to people? Money doesn't matter that much, over $80,000 a year. Sex doesn't matter that much, but can you really, do you, do you have five people who you could call right now and say, meet me at the hospital, basically? That, that's what makes people happy, knowing that somebody has your back and that you have someone else's back. So for me, if we have this wound from when we're like two weeks old or three weeks old, when, when our parents, you know, one of the, one of the signs of wealth in this country is when a baby has its own room. And there's a theorist who, from my community, who said, when the first time you put a baby down, you, you say, okay, we're going to sleep in our bed. We'll be back in eight hours. The baby thinks you're killing me. And it's this betrayal wound, this, this, this terrible, primal abandonment. And so when you're fired from your job or your spouse cheats on you when you're 35 or 40 years old, what you're really doing is reopening that terrible primal abandonment wound. So for me, knowing your attachment style, and it's, again, it doesn't take a long time. It's just creating a narrative of why you believe the things you do about the world. Can you securely attach to people or are you anxiety ridden? I mean, the most interesting thing to me is avoidant. So that's when, you know, someone just avoids attaching because they know they'll get hurt again and it'll be very detrimental. So knowing your attachment dynamic is the first part of being authentic. The second part is atonement, or as I say, at one mint, which means cleaning up your past so that you can show up authentically for the present. So your mind was built to create woulda, coulda, shoulda, didn'ts. These are resentments. And as you, we all know, resentment is like poking yourself in the eye and waiting for someone else to go blind. You're only hurting yourself. But these resentments, they, they actually protect you for a long time from getting hurt again. They also hinder you from authentically connecting to other people. So the only way to get rid of these resentments is to forgive. So atonement is realizing your inner wholeness by releasing all those protective mechanisms that are now showing up as wanting to change the past. So the, the chapter in the book is called Square Peg Round Hole. And I say in my classes, if you came home and saw your child or your parent or your loved one sitting on the couch trying to jam a square peg into a round hole, you'd stop them. And this is what your mind does all day long. Your mind is trying to change the past. And, and it's a foible. It's a, it's, a, it's a problem. So the way to get into the present is just you forgive everybody unequivocally. The third part of attachment is attunement. And I say in the book, mirror neurons do not fire by a text message, meaning that we need hugs. We need to hold hands. We need to look into another human being's eyes. We need to throw a football. We need to grab coffee. And in my culture here, you know, people live in cars, work in cubicles, eat at their desk, and they don't know how to attune to other people. And attunement means 
as a psychotherapist, having the same facial affect, that means if my brow is furrowed, your brow is furrowed. If I'm smiling, you're smiling. Because what this basically does is this attunement lets you know that you're not crazy basically. I mean, because we have all these thoughts in our head all the time. And when you sit there with a psychotherapist or with a partner or with a friend, and they're they're sitting there with the same facial expression as you, you have these mirror neurons and they fire and they say, wow, I'm not totally batshit crazy. There's someone else who, who is sitting there with me. And so attuning to another person is really important. And then the fourth component of authenticity is presence, not letting your mind drag you into the past or the future. On my first DVD, I say that depression relates to thoughts about the past. Anxiety relates to thoughts about the the future. The past no longer exists. The only thing that exists is your story about it. The future doesn't yet exist, only your imaginations about it. So how can depression and anxiety exist? So anytime you can pull yourself into the present moment and you can be grateful that you're here, you're healthy, you're alive, you're going to eliminate that depression and anxiety, even if it's just for one second. So my tools for presence are yoga and meditation, and I practice both of them and I teach both of them. And then the fifth part of authenticity is congruence. And it's best explicated by the Andre G quote at the beginning of the book when he says, it is better to be hated for who you are than to be liked for who you are not. It is better to, he actually says, it is better to be hated for what you are than to be loved for what you are not. So again, we create these false selves and we're seducing people into liking our sexy personas, but then it tends up being like this terrible resentment factory because what we really crave is them to love our whole beings. We want that unconditional love. So I've created this methodology, this step-by-step process to help people be able to show up authentically and be loving and be vulnerable and be compassionate so they can enroll people in being loving and being compassionate and being vulnerable because that's what we really want. Mm, Absolutely. So where do we start? If someone's listening, because I'm thinking, okay, a lot of this comes back to self-awareness. Like, In order to move through some of the things that you just shared with us, you need to have a level of self-awareness and want to take responsibility and honesty because it's very easy to kind of turn a blind eye and go, well, no, I'm perfect and everyone else is just screwed up. So what is the first thing that we can do to get on this path? So for me, when people come in, that's very common in in my very highly competitive capitalistic culture that people have a not good enough feeling. Like they make vice president and they say, yeah, but I'll only be happy when they're president, when I'm president. Or they they have a boyfriend and then they say, oh, well, I'll only be happy when I'm married or I'll only be happy when I have a child or whatever. It's always like pushing, kicking the can down the road for happiness. So for me, when patients come into my office, I ask them, whose voice is that? Were you born with that voice in your head that you're good, not good enough, that you're not perfect right now, that your life isn't ideal right in this very second? Because language creates reality. And we all learn how to think about things. And in my culture, as I said, you go to school, there's only one person who gets the highest mark in the class, and then everyone else is basically not good enough. And then interestingly, because I deal with a lot of very high-powered patients, even those people who were prom queen and number one and went to Harvard with perfect scores, those people 
also have uh, they suffer from the imposter syndrome and they and they don't really believe you know the accolades on the outside. So the problem is endemic in our culture. And for me, the first thing to do is realize that these thoughts are not you. They're they're there because of other reasons, whatever you want to believe in, whether it's karma or psychology or some combination thereof. But really, you just have to go back and create a narrative about why you think the things that you think, how those thoughts got into your head. I mean, basically, replace resentment with gratitude because your mind was built to, to keep you safe and it keeps you safe by, you know, creating these, these fears uh, and things like that. And, you know, at some point in time, you have to say, no, I'm, I'm safe. I don't have to live in fear. I want to show up. I want to be loving. I want to be compassionate. And I want, I want to have authentic relationships. So you're right. The first part is mindfulness, being aware of your thoughts, where they came from, what they're doing. And then hopefully you can choose healthier thoughts. So really, all we really need to do is be present. Like, exactly. if everyone was just present, like, we wouldn't even have to have this conversation. No, we would not. I have to interrupt this juicy conversation to tell you about today's epic sponsor, Better Help. For those of you that have been following me for a while will know that back in 2010, I hit rock bottom and ended up in hospital with my health taken away from me. I was dealing with a whole host of physical health issues, which you can read about in Mastering Your Mean Girl, but I was also dealing with some mental health issues from anxiety, panic attacks, eating issues, and depression. So that was the first time I started seeing a therapist, which helped me so much. From there, I have worked with so many coaches, counselors, therapists, and mentors who have all been very supportive for my growth and evolution. This is why I'm such a massive fan of getting support when you feel you need it. Some people think that you have to do this thing called life alone, but let me tell you, you don't. You don't have to do it alone and reaching out for support is okay. In fact, it's very brave and courageous. This is why I love BetterHelp, which connects you online to over 4,000 licensed therapists, counselors, and caring professionals that specialize in the issues that you want to talk about. Now, another epic thing is that your sessions can be done via video, phone, chat, or even text if you don't feel comfortable doing a video conversation or even a phone conversation. And you can communicate with someone within 24 hours, which is great for those times when you feel you really need to talk to someone quickly. And sometimes booking in with someone in person can take weeks. I know that's been the case for me. And all you need to do is fill out the form online and they hook you up with the best person for your needs. How awesome is that? And we are giving the MA Tribe 10% off your first month with the discount code MA Tribe. And if you're currently struggling with something, please reach out and get support with BetterHelp. All you have to do is head to betterhelp.com forward slash MA Tribe to get your 10% off. And remember, 
isn't shameful to ask for help and support. It is actually incredibly brave and courageous. So please reach out if you feel you need support and help right now. Head to betterhelp.com forward slash MA tribe. Now let's get back to this juicy conversation. And do you know what? Something that's really helped me, I see a Buddhist psychotherapist and she's amazing and I love her so much. And she says to me, Melissa, whenever these thoughts come up or whenever these feelings come up, say it's guilt or something like that, Uh she says to get curious, to just like go, huh, that's interesting. (laughs) And to not buy into it because, you know, what I would do in the past is like guilt would come up. Oh, I feel guilty because of that. I'm such a bad person and I should have done that. You know, the shoulda, woulda, coulda, didn't, what you said before. Mm -hmm. But for me, it's like this has really helped me. So when these thoughts or these feelings arise, just like get my detective curious hat on and go, huh, that is so interesting. For me, the most interesting thing is that – Our core wounds, whatever they may be, and what I've noticed is that a lot of times it's some sort of betrayal or abandonment. And it comes from, again, the competitiveness of our culture. So, you know, you were growing up and your mother favored your brother or sister for two seconds. And when you were two years old, your little brain said, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. And now that you're 35 years old or 40 years old and your husband doesn't return your text message in five minutes, you're like, oh my God, there's something wrong with me. So the interesting thing for me is when I encounter being triggered and then I realized that it was something that I thought I healed in some manner, but it's it's kind of always going to be there. Essentially, what I'm saying is that there's no there there. There's no state of enlightenment where you overcome and transcend all of your wounds. It's this process that you go through where you're just trying to be your highest self for the greatest part of the time you're, you're, you're awake. Yeah, love that. And that way we're not striving for perfection and enlightenment exactly. because, guys, it's, yeah. it's going to be a long journey. That's a losing battle. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> yeah, coming back to awareness being absolute key, you know, another thing that I'm always very curious about is the triggers. Like when I get triggered, In the past, I would blame the other person. You did this to me. But now when I get triggered, again, I get my curious hat on. I get my detective hat on and I go, hmm, that's so interesting. What is it triggering within me? And then where was that first incident? Where did that first incident happen where I got triggered? And so this has really helped me transform and, and evolve and grow is just understanding you know, where that original trigger came from and then not buying into the story because there's so many stories that we tell ourselves. Like we're constantly telling ourselves stories and a lot of them are really stinky, crappy stories. And we are constantly just repeating stories. Everything is a story. And whether it's a quote unquote good story or a bad story, it's all a freaking story. Right. You know, it's really funny to me. I don't know what percentage of your listeners are male, but for me, one of my biggest triggers out in the world is 
subtly being emasculated by another man. And it, and it's funny because, you know, when you're a kid in America and you watch movies like 48 Hours or, or these things, you see you see a lot of bar fights. And, you know, everyone watched Robert De Niro uh, in the mirror and Taxi Driver when he, said, when he says, you talking to me? Are you like, and he, yeah. he's, he's picking a fight with himself because he's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, there's a lot of like things that go on. I, I was at the, I, I was at the Hare Krishna temple yesterday and a guy was holding open the door for a woman, but she wasn't actually coming and he was blocking my way. So I squeezed in and he, he said something really nasty. I, I forgot what it was, but th- I could feel myself do that Robert De Niro thing inside, like a crazy person. Like, are you talking like, 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 let's have a fist fight about you not hoping, holding the door open for me because I feel emasculated. And, and I was just, and I just started laughing to myself. I was like, when is this going to end? When is the, <laughs> when, when will I stop like feeling this like, oh, I'm, I'm less than for some bizarre reason because some other person just didn't say hello and be cordial to me. <laughs> mm, oh my gosh. I find that whenever we make it about I, me, that's when we get into trouble. It's like, you, exactly. you know, you're not respecting me or you're, you're doing this to me or this is about me. It's, you know, it's not, it's not about me. Every instance we have the opportunity to choose ego or choose love. Mm. And so being your highest self means making those decisions from the point of view of being loving, being giving, and, you know, your ego does its job. It keeps you alive. It self-regulates. It keeps you disciplined. It keeps you, you know, it tells you when to go to sleep. It tells you what things to eat. But, you know, when you, if you listen to it too much, you become narcissistic and, and uh, you really can't afford to do that. Yeah, exactly. So for someone listening who's like, oh, my gosh, I've got some pretty deeply ingrained stories and they're... Yep. You know, from my childhood, and and there, my ego wants to hold on for dear life for the, to these stories. I'm going to give you the best example. I, okay, go to answer your question. So, as I said at the beginning, I have my face blown off my head. If anyone goes to my website now, iraisrael.com, they can see I have a big scar from my lip to all the way through the crease in my face. And it was an impact wound. So it was like being, it was a a dashboard, but it was like, you know, it was was really, it wasn't like a, a knife cut. It was like being hit with a baseball bat. So for 25 years, I would go out and it's obvious when someone has a scar on their face, people would say, where'd you get the scar on your face? And I would say, you know, I was almost killed in a car accident. I, I would I would romanticize it and things like that. And finally, there was this class I took and I just wanted to try something else on. I don't know. I, I can't even begin to tell you why, but I, I flipped it because someone had once told me that I had an adverse relationship with, with, with the film industry in general. I explicated that to like, well, what if I have an adverse relationship with reality? You know, as I said, what am I, what if I'm trying to basically change the past, something I can't change? What, what if I'm basically trying to like undo these scars? And so instead of doing that, I just said during this, this, this workshop, I'm going to embrace this. And I turned to my partner and I looked at him in the eyes and I said, I'm supposed to have these scars on my face. And everything changed. As soon as I said that, I realized how absurd it was for me to say, I'm, I'm not supposed to have these scars on my face. Because like, as I said, you can't change the past. And all of us have been through pretty horrible, traumatic things. 
I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to write an article at some point in time. I don't know if you want to get into this, but I, but the title of the article is going to be something like a human being cannot be unraped. So every day I wake up and there's this Harvey Weinstein stuff and there's this me too movement. And you know, it's just the most invasive, horrible, most heinous violation that, that takes place, you know, in the, in the Catholic church and all these things we live in. A, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a horrible culture that, that, you know, it's a, it's a very rapey power driven culture. And, and the people who are, are, are committing these crimes don't realize, you know, that their 10 minutes of, of whatever they're doing is going to really affect someone for, for the rest of their lives. Like you cannot be unviolated. It's good, you know? And so I work with these people because I am one of these people who have suffered th through these traumas. And at some point in time, owning your life for me, and it's very, very unpalatable for a lot of people. But for me, after 25 years, you know, the first 25 years, I was pretty angry. But as soon as I said the words, I'm supposed to have these scars on my face, everything changed. Mm, it's like really owning, owning it and accepting what's happening. Because if we are fighting that, then we're constantly living in the past and that is only causing us suffering. Correct. Mm, wow. But there's a beautiful phrase. It's actually a bumper, it's actually a bumper sticker. The, it, this, the philosopher quotes a bumper sticker. Pain is unavoidable. Suffering is optional. Mm. So the way we frame our stories, either we can recite them objectively in some ways, like there was a car accident rather than, oh, I was almost killed in a car accident, you know, like to make this like horrible, romantic, I need to drag you into my suffering. I need sympathy. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that I'm 52, I'm healthy, I have a good life. And yeah, there's some scars on my face, but the sooner I accept them and the sooner I'm saying, this is the way life is supposed to be, you know, the easier my life will be. Mm, yes. And so what can we do though, if, you know, we are having these big realizations and we are wanting to let go of these childhood wounds, triggers and stories, but the people around us are keeping those stories alive as well? Like, what can we do in that sense? You have to re-enroll them in a new story. It's, it's, and that's fascinating to me. How do we do that? I'm going to tell you a joke because this is so funny, and then we'll go into it. The joke is, a guy goes into a psychiatrist's office and he says, doctor, I think I'm a seed. I think I'm a grain. And the doctor says, oh my God, that's really awful. We have to put you in a mental institution. So they put the guy in a mental institution and they work on him for months and months and months. And finally, he's convinced that he's a man and not a seed. And they have a big party for him. And then they send them out. And five minutes later, he runs back huffing and puffing. And the doctor said, what's wrong? We just spent the last six months convincing you that you're a man and not a seed. He goes, I know I'm a man and not a seed, but does the chicken outside know? <laughs> so we, we, all of our friends are those chickens, <laughs> and we have to, we have to, we have to, we have to re-enroll them in a new story. You yeah. know, it's not the it's not the woes me, I'm the victim, and it's also not the I'm some superhero crazy, I, you know, whatever. We just have to have them be committed to our higher selves. And how do we re-enroll them? 
just could you tell them the new story and you say, I want to clean up my past. Like I've been, I've been languaging this phenomenon in a, in this way as, as me as the victim. And I don't want to be seen like that anymore. So like anytime I say I was almost killed in a car accident, it just turn to me and say, are you almost pregnant, Ira? <laughs> like you, you can't be almost killed. That's that there, you can't, you can't be almost pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You're either killed or you're not killed. Mm, that's really, really such powerful stuff because I know a lot of people struggle with this and it's just about having that open crystal clear, what I call crystal clear communication with someone and, and sharing with them what you're trying to let go of or what you want to let go of and and asking them to jump on board and support you in this process. Well, language creates reality. So for us to choose the way we want to frame our lives is really something that we all need to just go meditate on. How do you want to choose the words so that you enroll the people in your highest self, essentially? Mm, exactly. And it, it does come back to you. Like you're leading the way. So if, you know, people pick up on how you are, and if you're kind of walking around continuously telling this story, then they'll reinforce that for you. So, right. you know, it does start with us. Totally. So what do you attribute all of your success to? And I know everyone's definition of success is different, but for you within yourself, whatever success means to you, like what, what do you attribute that to? For me, life, because of that car accident, I learned that life is very short. And the lifestyle that I saw people entering after university of working 80 hours a week, at some point in time, you know, I, I worked for a couple of years and I just said, this is ridiculous. You know, any of us can die any day. I don't want it to say worked really hard on my tombstone. You know, I want it to say beloved. So I should try to create a life where I can study the things I want to study and engage in the relationships that I want to engage in. So for me, the definition of success is freedom, being able to wake up in the morning. Some days I'm a psychotherapist. Some days I'm a writer. Some days I'm a student. Some days I'm a teacher. Some days I go to yoga classes. Some days I'm teaching yoga classes. So for me, I know that novelty is really important and I seek out new experiences. About a month ago at 52 years old, I started taking boxing classes and mm -hmm. I'm fucking terrible. I'm so, I'm so <laughs> uncoordinated. I've been practicing yoga for 28 years. I, at boxing, I just hit the bag in the corner of the room and when people come near and they're all like, women. And so it's even, so it's, I'm even more emasculated. So I just tell them, I say, I'm on the short bus. Like I, this is like the special section of the classroom for, for challenged people. And I just do my little thing. And I've been, I've just gradually been not sparring with people, but just, I don't know what to call it. Just, we throw punches and duck and, and things like that. And it's total beginner's mind. It's total Buddhism. You know, so for me, whatever age you are, try something new, whether it's volleyball or hiking or swimming, just like, you know, every every couple of months say, I've never been to this theater, but I'm going to go to this theater or I haven't seen an opera in a couple of years or, you know, so for me, keeping it fresh learning about new composers because I'm fascinated by the way musicians see the world and the, the things that they hear in their heads that aren't in verbal language. So I love music. I love painting. So I go to museums as often as possible. I've probably, I've been to 30 museums. I counted within the last year, I've been to 30 museums because I, I travel for work. So whenever I travel, I always put a, a day at the beginning or the end of the trip so I can just go to, go to a couple of museums. 
So for me, seeing the, the, that inspiration visually, listening to it orally, and then when I'm home, I get to read all these books. I just spent the last two weeks going through all of Alan Watts' work. And, you know, he's just so damn smart. So for me, that, the one thing we're missing in terms of psychotherapy in the West is a spiritual understanding. And Alan Watts just kind of puts it all together in a very snarky and entertaining manner. So, you know, I just dedicated 10 days of my life and and I went through his work and I I feel invigorated for just, you know, sitting down with him for some time. So for me, it's it's about having the freedom to pursue the things that you know are going to nourish your soul. Mm, I love that. Yeah, Al- Alan Watts is amazing. He's very articulate. I love the way he <laughs> expresses. And, you know, something that you mentioned is something I'm really mindful of as well is doing something new each week. So at least once a week, doing something that I've never done before, whether that's walking a different way, Mm -hmm. you know, or trying a new class or just doing something that I've never done before, because we can get so caught up in the day to day and almost like on automatic pilot. And I think it's really important that at least once a week, drive a different route, yep. walk a different way, go to a different museum, yeah. try a different dance class or boxing class or something. And that really is how we grow and expand. <laughs> Yesterday, I took a walk and I ended up getting, I, I don't know what it was, but I was craving a, a cookie and some tea. And I was reading the Alan Watts at a Starbucks on 7th Street that I don't normally frequent, but I just like, it was in the sunlight. It was so nice. And I was about to leave. And this big guy with tattoos all over his arms comes up to me and he goes, are you Ira Israel? And so immediately, (laughs) I know he's not from the IRS, so that's a good sign. But I don't know, I don't know why he, whatever. And I look at him and I, I say, yes. He says, you were my film teacher in 1998 at UCSB. And, and I was like, oh, that's wonderful. And he g- gave his name. He sat down and we sat there. And this was a total, you know, someone I hadn't seen in 20 years. And he's writing books now. And, and I spoke about my book and, and it was so lovely. But like, it was this weird thing. It was just like, follow your instinct, go get a cookie at Starbucks and see what happens. <laughs> yes. You just don't know. Like, you just don't know. And it's so beautiful. That's awesome. I love that. I have to interrupt this conversation to tell you about one of today's epic podcast sponsors, Audible. You can start listening with a 30-day trial and your first audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. All you have to do is head to audible.com forward slash MA Tribe or text MA Tribe to 500-500 to get this epic deal. Now, this show requires me to read a ton of books, which is awesome but there is only so many I can read at one time, which is why I love Audible. It is the best place to find and listen to audiobooks. You can listen anytime, anywhere, on any device, and it will always pick up where you left off. I love audiobooks so much, which is why both of my best-selling books, Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, are on Audible. So if you haven't got them yet, make sure you do because like I mentioned, we are giving you a 30-day Audible trial and you will get your first audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. How cool is that? Just a reminder, all you have to do is head to audible.com forward slash MA Tribe or text MA Tribe to 500-500 to get this epic deal. Happy listening. Now, let's get back to this conversation. 
Now, I believe, you know, we're always working on ourselves and evolving and growing. So what's something that you're working on within yourself at the moment besides boxing? I've been studying Lacan, Jack Lacan for the past year. So I just came back from France and I brought a, a bookcase of his works and I'm trying to have a new understanding of how to help people. Meaning that, so in my book, in, in, in the last couple of chapters, and I'm not going to go too much into Freud, but uh, Lacan was a Freudian. And to my understanding, he thought that the mother was in charge of giving the child unconditional love and that the child sees the father as a, as a hindrance because the mother diverts attention to the father and the, ch- and the child really wants uh, her attention. So for me, the way I frame it in my book is, the, the job of parenting is the most difficult job in the world because in our society, both parents are trying to instill self-esteem and self-regulation. And so Lacan divides it up into like male and female roles in some capacity. And so the father is helping to instill self-regulation because the child, ha- the child originally cries when it's not with the mother. And then the child has to learn that it's not always going to be with the mother. And then that's what the father's job is. The father uh, represents like the big other in some ways and teaches language or, or the big other is part of, or language is part of the, the big other. So, and the mother is there to, the baby experiences jouissance, pure joy, enjoyment, which is also orgasm, French, but w- when it's with the mother. And then language creating the way the mind thinks really alienates the person, the child from the experience. So for me right now, the thing that is very exciting is I'm learning a new system and I'm hoping that I'm able to employ it to help my patients in the office because what I see is when people come in and they say, oh yeah, but you know everything I do is wrong or I'm not good enough and things like that, that tells me that I have to show up in some capacity as like the healthy, loving, non-judgmental, let's say mother figure. And if the people have no self-regulation and they're drug addicts and they're not attaining their goals and things like that, then I have to show up as the, as the, the, the father and help them self-regulate so that they can you know, uh, be more disciplined and, and get their desires met. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. So interesting. That's really fascinating. Yeah. I'm just thinking, yeah, I have a 13-year-old stepson and I'm just thinking about that with him as well. So interesting. I'm going to check out, what is it, Jack Lacan? Yeah, Lacan, L-A-C-A-N. Again, these are just systems, whether you espouse, you know, Freud system. And I don't espouse Freud system because his whole thing was, you know, I discovered the the unconscious, I discovered these things. When the fact of the matter is, is that he created these things. So he created the system, and then subsequently, uh, you know, whether you study uh, Skinner or Fromm or or anybody, they we all create our own modalities in some capacity. And so for me, I want to learn more. You know, there's this beautiful quote by Abraham Maslow that you already know. He said, "When the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem resembles a nail." So for me, I'm constantly enlarging my toolbox. And as I said, I spent the last year up until two weeks ago when I took a little vacation from Lacan to study Alan Watts. And um, I really just want to understand like how, because I'm impatient, I want want to understand how quickly 
we can change somebody's thinking. You know, when you see like Tony Robbins in that, in, in one of his videos, there's a video on YouTube where someone's been stuttering for like 35 years. If you just put in Tony Robbins uh, stuttering and in, there's like an 18 minute video and he cures the guy. And so, you know, I'm not a huge Tony Robbins fan, but when I see somebody or Darren Brown, who also uses NLP, Darren Brown is a mentalist or, or magician out of London. And when I see him be able to manipulate people's consciousness very quickly and, and do these things that you and I consider to be magic, that really interests me. Because, you know, our, 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 our minds are really, really limited. We have these terrible foibles, these terrible ways of thinking, but our minds have a negativity bias. And for me, going through the trauma that I, I went through, I realized that every day is a gift. I got no time to waste. I'm going to be dead for a long time, <laughs> starting at some point in time in the future. So like right now is the only moment that counts. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And we just don't know. We have no idea what is around the corner. We have nope. no idea. Life is so precious and so sacred. So we may as well just live it to the fullest potential and be the best version of ourselves, whatever that looks like. Yeah. And knowing that you are incredibly well-read, I would love to hear what is one book that you would put in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world besides your books? Let's presume they're already in the curriculum. What is one other book you would choose? This is so fascinating. I read a book last week called Kids These Days by Malcolm Harris, right? And he's a young person. He was born in 1998. And it's so fascinating because the scope of his perception, he because he talks about these references that are basically he wouldn't know about, like Walkman and things like that from my generation. And his writing is so luscious and so poignant, and he gives great examples. I know it's about millennials, but for me, you know, as I do discuss in my book, our culture works in, in ebbs and flows. And right now, I don't care particularly between the fight between Democrats and the Republicans. Right now, I, I, I'm a progressive. I want to see how we progress as a society to be more compassionate, to be more loving, to work less, and to you know just thrive in, in life. And we have these conservatives who are trying to conserve the white male Christian Judeo-Christian hegemony. So we've seen how well that's worked for the past uh, 3,000 years. You know, there's been World War One, World War Two. there's been gas chambers, there's been pedophilia, there's been countless rapes and terrible things. So for me, what, how, what's going to bring about progress? And is that, does that mean having a female led society? Meaning, you know, how do we, how do we get more female representatives into our political system so that they have at least an equal voice? I mean, the percentages of, of, of female corporate leaders, CEOs and things and, and, and people in real power in our, in our culture is extremely low. So what I'm trying to do is work towards opening people's eyes for, to, towards new possibilities. And for me, the insights in this young man's book, Malcolm Harris's uh, Kids These Days, that to me, it really encapsulates a whole generation of people. And also, you know, the people in high school today, they would appreciate, you know, what, what's coming ahead of them and then what, what they have to do to step up to the plate to help move our society forward as opposed to backwards. Mm, that book sounds really interesting. I'm going to check it out. Awesome. I will definitely have a read of that. So thanks for sharing. 
I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day, how they set themselves up for success. So do you have a morning routine that you do? And if so, can you share it? Yeah. Well, as I said, my living alarm clock pounces on my head and announces that it's time to wake up as soon as day breaks. And that's my lovely cat, Helen. And then we go through about a 45 minute ritual, depending on how she wants to get fed and go outside and chase some birds. And then when she's down, then I, I can meditate for a little bit and then check my emails. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to me because I don't actually have anything planned, but by the time I, I turn on my computer, there's always this barrage of like information from Europe or from the East Coast or from someplace else in the world. And I basically just have to, you know, start the day. And I, I my best uh, most creative hours are between six and 10. And then I like to go out and do either yoga or take a bicycle ride on the beach. Or as I said, I've been going to boxing <laughs> classes or take a run. So for me, it's like I put in, I, I, I the way I calculate it is because I, the book that you read that I, I wrote, I wrote in 38 days. So I'm fairly prolific. There's 300 articles on the Huffington Post on, on various subjects. So I, I have no trouble writing. I'm, I've, I've never experienced writer's block for even two minutes in my 30 years of writing. So I just know that that stuff comes out. So basically for everybody, I think we need to know what causes the, what is the foundation of our creativity and then just let it flow. So for me, it's getting up, going through uh, the the craziness that I have to go through with my emotionally uh, codependent and somewhat deranged cat, and then getting to whatever business stuff needs to be attended to making some meetings. And then I I like to be creative for the first couple hours of the day. And then my afternoons are basically spent reading and uh, doing research. And, you know, I see patients uh, sometime around the lunchtime hour. And I actually love to see patients on the weekends because I feel like it's very, it's not rushed in a way. So I, I try to be as generous as possible. And, you know, traffic's a horrible thing. So if people come late, but I really, I'm trying to show up 100% for all of my patients. And, and I, I hope I'm successful at that. Mm, beautiful. Sounds good. Now I've got three rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I am. Okay. What is one thing that we can all do today for our health to improve our health? Meditate. Yep. I love it. What type of meditation do you do? Well, it's funny. I just taught this person uh, today in the office uh, a labeling our thoughts meditation. So the way it breaks down is that there's you could, your thoughts are either about the past, present, or future, and they're either negatively charged, positively charged, or neutral. So if you calculate, that's only nine types of thoughts. So you choose words. And basically, you want to understand that your thoughts fool you into thinking that they're you, but there is whatever you believe is able to watch the thoughts, whether it's uh, your higher self or God or whatever part of you can watch your thoughts is not your thoughts. So labeling them gives you this distance because, you know, you say, oh, I got to send that email at five o'clock today. And then you say, that's my mind planning. That's my mind planning. And so when you create that distance between you and your mind, and then at the end of the meditation, you can say, I am not my mind. You know, my mind is just this tool. It's like the, the, the operating system on my computer, right? It's not the computer. My body is the computer. And 
the, the operating system is my mind. So, you know, sometimes your operating system gets bugs and it has to be debugged and defragged and things like that. And that's what meditation does. It cleans out the cache, it cleans out everything and it's perfect in the morning. So you set your day up so that you're clean and you always know that when you're triggered at four or five o'clock when someone cuts you off on the freeway or something like that, you, you remember, oh, I had that breath of clarity this morning and it's available to me right now. I can just not be triggered by being cut off by that automobile. Mm, that's very interesting. I like it. So meditation, meditate every day. Okay. What is one thing that we can do for more wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. So when I teach my classes, uh, which are called cultivating meaning and happiness through mindfulness and yoga, there's 26 hours. And then I usually get quite giddy at the end. And I say, life is so simple. It's incredible how many people fuck it up so badly. If you want to be happy, the only thing that correlates with happiness is the quality of your intimate relationships. And if you want to lead a meaningful life, the only thing you can do is help others, serve other people. So for me, richness is the hug. The richness is knowing that someone else, that I facilitated someone else's greatness. So if someone called me yesterday, oh, someone, one of my patients called me yesterday, they got a book deal. We actually worked on the, the table of contents like last week together in session and, and they just got a book deal. And so for me, like you have no idea what pleasure, like that's to me, like the wealth, you know, cause I know she's going to write an awesome book, right? <laughs> so get, so just, just being there and being able to be a sounding board and go through the table of contents with her, was just like, you know, what a privilege. Mm, it's the best. <laughs> it is the best. Being of service is absolutely the best. And I love that helping others equals a meaningful life. I've just written that down. That's right. All right. Third question. What, the last one is, what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Well, we have to drop our facades and learn how to be vulnerable and really just show up. And, and for me, and it's particularly interesting, in my part of the world, there's still this like learned helplessness where women don't really call men. They, ex they have these expectations that the man calls the woman, the boy does this. And we're living in a very confusing time in sort of gender roles. So you have to step out of your comfort zone. If you want real love, you have to step out of your comfort zone and be authentic and look someone in the eyes and say, you're a really interesting person. I'd like to get to know you better. Are, are you interested in that? And just you know, be out there. And yeah, sometimes you're, you're, you're going to be disappointed. Sometimes you're going to be betrayed, uh, betrayed. Sometimes, you know, someone always all interested in you because, you know, your money or your power or something like that. But in general, you have to be able to, to go into every new relationship, looking at the person's higher self, and then hopefully like they'll inspire you to be your higher self and, and, you know, that you'll inspire them. For me, people are like flowers and, you know, you have a choice. You can either prune them or you can water them. And I, I water my friends. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, going up to someone, looking them in the eye and saying, Hey, I really like you. I'd love to get to know you more. Should we do that with our friendships as well? Not just our intimate relationships? Yeah. Totally. And, but you have to be very precise. You have to say, I'm married. I'm not into, like, I'm in a monogamous relationship, but like, I'm, to, but you're fascinating. Like, like, can we grab coffee sometime? You know, for me, I, I, I'm, I'm sometimes curt. 
I, I'll, I'll write emails to people. I said, I read your book. I really loved your writing. I'd love to get coffee sometime. No agenda. And I always put in no agenda because it means that I'm not going to ask anything. I'm not going to ask you to, to sing some song at my son's bar mitzvah or some crazy. Because when you, when you talk to, you know, people who are out there, they, they get asked a lot of crazy shit, you know? So I, I always say, you know, I loved your record. Uh, you know, I'd love to grab coffee sometime. No agenda. And I've had some really, really interesting meetings. And also I've had a lot of people reach out to me and, and do the same thing to me. And, and I, I love it. I love just like showing up someplace. And I don't even know, you know, I'm, I'm conspicuous because of my size and my hair, but I love showing up. There's somebody I'm meeting next Tuesday. I don't even know from the name if it's male or female. I'm just, I'm just like, this is exciting. I get to meet a new person. Mm. And the conversations <laughs> that you have, like, it's just amazing. And I'm the same yeah. as you. I love meeting new people. I love hearing stories. I love, you know, having these conversations like with you. I, this is this is my jam. Like I get to do this for yeah. a living. Like have epic deep conversations yeah. with people and and share it with others. It's awesome. So I love that. And you know, this is the meaning of life. Like it's it's about our our relationships. It's about the depth of our relationships that really matters. Totally. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to share that I maybe I didn't ask you about or any last parting words of wisdom? Well, we have to recognize that it's an incredible privilege in a world where 3.5 billion people live on less than $1.90 a day that you and I, you and I have the luxury, the time to be able to decide who we want to be, what lives we want to live, the language we want to employ. We're not running from tigers or dinosaurs. You know, we have roofs over our heads. Like, what an incredible privilege. What a luxury. You know, where like for me, because I had almost had my leg amputated, for me, being able to run, every time I run or every time I do yoga, I look down and I'm like, this is fucking amazing. Like, I have two legs. This is amazing. Because I know that there's a parallel universe where I don't have two legs. Right. So like, just know that your mind was built to create these resentments and that's the essential cause of your suffering. And you can't pull all the weeds from the garden. But what you can do is plant flowers, meaning that you can replace those weeds with flowers of gratitude. So for every time you, your mind says, oh, I'll only be happy when I'm married, when I'm a millionaire, when I'm 10 pounds thinner, when I own this or that. Thing. Like you just have to say no. Like this is so this experience right now today, like me talking to you. You know, what is there seven thousand miles between us, and we're sitting here and we're chatting. It's just amazing. <laughs> it's amazing that we get to do these things, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely amazing. We're so. I'm. I'm so glad you mentioned that because yeah, we are. W- I don't take this for granted. You know, I don't take the fact that we have a roof over our head, that I live in a very safe, beautiful country. Like these are things that I say I'm grateful for every single day and I really feel it. And I think that's really important that we acknowledge that. Um, And my last question for you, and you you touched on it before, you touched on the power of service. And I'm a massive believer in service. This is why we're here. This is why we are here on earth is to be of service to others. So how can I and the listeners serve you today? What can we do to serve you? Hmm. I've never had that question asked. 
I love to engage. So uh, go to my website. My email address is there, ira at iraisrael.com, and engage me. If you have questions, if you want to know uh, more about uh, some of the things that I'm, I've, I've studied for those 25 years, whether they're it's spiritual and Buddhism and Hinduism, Kabbalah, or, or Lacan, you know, just uh, read a couple of articles or read some of my book and en- engage me. Let's, let, let's meet. Mm, that's so beautiful. That's so generous of you and so beautiful. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for not only giving us your time and, and your wisdom today, but also for all of the amazing work that you've done in the world and that you continue to do and the light that you shine and the message that you're spreading. I'm really grateful that you were out there just doing that because it really makes a difference and it really matters right back at you 100% Melissa. Your books are amazing. This podcast is amazing. I mean, like all of us are part of team transition, meaning that the world is going through this like cataclysmic change. And as I said, there's conservatives trying to conserve that old way of being, which includes slavery, make America great again and all that crap. And then there's people like us who are not afraid of the unknown, who are saying, I just know that there's something better and I want to help be a part of it. Mm, I want to contribute towards that. Totally. Well, thank you so much. I'm so grateful and so honored that you could give us your time today. Thank you for inviting me on the show, Melissa. Thank you. Wasn't that awesome? I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please hit subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to come and join the MA Tribe private Facebook group where you can share your insights from this episode. Plus, tell me who else you want me to get on the show. It's also a very sacred space where we can come together to discuss all things Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, along with anything else that you feel called to contribute to the open and honest conversation. You'll also get some extra love and support personally from me that I won't be offering anywhere else. And one thing that I get asked a lot is, where can I find my tribe or where can I find like-minded people? This is the place. So head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash tribe to join now. And for everything that Ira and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 209. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And another thing I wanted to mention before I go is that if you haven't got my book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, All you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And you will also get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And don't forget that if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and you leave me that five-star review. I would be so grateful. And if you have never left a review, please go and do that right now. Thank you in advance. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here. I honestly love doing this show for you. And I love that you want to be the best version of yourself and that you keep showing up every single week, twice a week. You guys seriously rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. 
You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Before I go, don't forget, if you are a female coach, consultant, or service provider wanting to take your business to six or seven figures, check out SheLaunch. All you have to do is head to SheLaunch.com, watch the free training on that page, and book in your free call. That's SheLaunch.com. Head there right now, and I cannot wait to meet and work with you and take you and your business to the stars. Now is the time, my friend.